Several weeks ago, I spoke about a paper called the Nashville Statement that was made. And uh, I was quite concerned deeply about it, as I am at this moment. I spoke with those with whom I meet each week for prayer and consultation and asked if, if they thought a series on how we got our Bible might be appropriate because of what is happening. Uh, let, let me read to you a part of what was said. They said yes, and so um, I, I thought it might be an appropriate thing to do. Uh, because if our Bible no longer has the meaning of what the Bible has always meant, then we are wasting our time here this morning. The secular age presents a great challenge to the Christian church. Will the church of the Lord Jesus Christ lose her biblical conviction, clarity, and courage and blend into the spirit of the age? Or will she hold fast to the word of life, draw courage from Jesus, and unashamedly proclaim his way as the way of life? Will she, that is the church, remain clear, counter-culture, counter-cultural, witness to a world that seems bent on self-ruination. The latest development in what is called progressive Christianity, and, and I confess that I've never thought of this before, is now what is considered to be Christian polyalumni, poly money, poly money, poly money, that's it. And, and poly money is the latest development where Christians are exchanging their married life with other Christian married couples. They are finding justification for this in the Bible. And, and it's, not, it's not polygamy. That's what I was thinking to bring the two. Polygamy is where you have several wives. But, but this latest development among Christians is where Christian couples meet with other Christian couples. And I don't need to go beyond that. We have moved into a secular age. And the church is quickly falling in step with it. It was felt that if the church wants to survive, the church must change. It must change to become like the world in which we live when the thing that Jesus Christ said from the very beginning was that you are the light of the world and light and darkness are not the same. And the moment we try to, to merge them, we are going to find ourselves in trouble. There are those who believe, for example, Christian leaders who look at Genesis chapter 1 and they believe that inclusiveness in gender is a biblical term. There are those who believe, looking at Genesis chapter 1, and they're saying that Adam and Eve were not the first two people created, that there were other generations before that, 
If you say that, my friends, you destroy the entire Bible. But Jesus would not need to come for this one nation, this one people, when Paul wrote, by one man sin entered into the world, then if there were a generation before Adam, then perhaps that generation didn't need the Savior. <laughs> so you can see where we are. And churches after churches after churches, we find this deterioration happening. It shouldn't surprise us, by the way, it shouldn't surprise us because, my friends, way back in the 20th chapter of the, of the book of, Acts, of uh, Acts, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Language will be used to pervert the truth. Language will be used to distort the truth. And language will be used to destroy the truth. And so this Sunday, along with, I thought might be one, but as I, as I started my studies, I said, this is going to take more than two Sundays. So whatever Sundays I have before we get back to Colossians, I begin what I believe is a very, very serious matter as we think of the church in the world today. You know, my, my wife's sister-in-law, you know, she's right now fighting cancer. And, and two weeks ago, we had her in a hospital in, in, within days for blood transfusion. Uh, I have to take a page out of Janelle's book. Uh, when our children were little and we had to take them to the doctor for um, needles and so on, I gave them to my wife. Um, I, I am just, just terrible seeing blood. <laughs> And seeing some, a needle going into someone, oh, I tell you, I, I pass out as well, Janelle, so don't feel that you are alone. Uh, but what, what I wanted to, to, to say that Carla had to go into the hospital because the level of her blood cells were such that if it continued that way, it could kill her. And if our view of Scripture continues to deteriorate, my friends, it will destroy the church. If our view of Scripture continues to, to go in fluctuation again and again and again with every wind of doctrine that is coming up, we are not going to have a church before too long. And may I make one more suggestion before I get into the text? And I cringe almost thinking it, much less to say it. We are living in a day when it will cost us to believe that this is God's word from cover to cover. We will pay a price for that. We will be separated 
from friends, the culture, we will experience mental agony over seeing those who once believed the scriptures and no longer believe it. You, you imagine men that I have studied with, studied under, turn out to be people who no longer believe some of the things they taught me. I'm going to tell you, you've got to know what they were leading you to rather than what they were teaching you. And I'm thankful that in spite of the errors of those men today, what I learned from them was to trust Jesus who speaks rather than to trust men who speak about Jesus. So we look in Hebrews chapter 1. I read it for you this morning. And what I want you to imagine, if you please, supposing you lived in a world where God never spoke, where you never heard anything of creation saying the heavens declare the glory of God, or where God kept himself confined to his eternal abode, where nothing came to you and to me from his world. Imagine if you lived in a world where Jesus never came. We would, we would, we would be living in total spiritual and moral darkness. And if we are living in a world where he did come, where Jesus was incarnate, and the world is the way it is, imagine what it would have been if it had never happened at all. I hate to think of it. So what Hebrews is telling us is that God came out of his own eternal existence and came into time. Look at how Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 begins. It begins with the declaration of God. It doesn't tell us how God came to be, why God spake. It simply says God. His existence in the scriptures is assured, assumed. I've said this again and again and again, and I will keep saying it because that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not try to prove the existence of God. It simply announces it. God. Uh, take note with the abrupt way in which this existence is assumed. The existence of God is the great presupposition of human thinking. Human beings could never exist to think that what exists simply came into being. Only God can, can, can fathom that. You and I can never fathom a world in which something did, did not precede it. But when we think of God... We cannot think of anything that preceded him. He, he is transcended. He is above what you and I can think about. So, there is no sense in speaking of the knowledge of God unless it may be assumed that he exists. When, when I look at creation, I conclude a creator the presupposition of Christian theology is of a very definite type. 
The assumption is not merely that there is something or some idea or some power or purposeful tendency to which the name of God may be applied. By the way, we have been accused of that, that we needed someone to, to, to worship and so we created a God. I'm going to tell you, we couldn't create a God like the one we find in the Bible. We would never be able to do that. So, so, so here, we, here, here we go. But this is a self-existent, self-conscious being which is the origin of all things and who transcends the entire creation but is at the same time eminent as a part of it. I'll explain that in a few minutes. The question may be raised whether this is a reasonable assumption and the answer is yes. What else can I assume? What else can I conclude? If I think that everything I do, you know, um, I, I was thinking of using an illustration this past week, but it, it breaks down, and every illustration does. See, I was thinking, if I woke up one morning and I found $100 in my wallet, I must assume that somebody put it there because it wasn't there before I went to bed. But there was $100 in my wallet. But that was given to me by Sean. See, see the, the relationship breaks down. There was $100, but the reason it was there because Sean gave me a... Don't look at me that way. Sean is my friend. <laughs> <laughs> no, Sean asked me to pick up some stuff for him in, in Salem, and so he gave me $100. But you see, see my, what, my point? That, that money could not be there unless someone either gave it to me or put it there themselves. When we look at creation we conclude someone is responsible for this. This is not a mistake. Look at the order, look at the beauty, look at the wisdom with which this world is made. So God communicates his existence by putting in us the understanding that nothing cannot produce something. We conclude that. Nothing Cannot produce something. Sheer lunacy. To meet here this morning to try and create a God we can worship if he doesn't exist. I have told you of this woman pastor in Toronto. And, and again, I said we know this section very well. We know people who go to this church. But the pastor is a woman who doesn't believe in the existence of God. Now, isn't that lunacy? In a church that doesn't believe in the existence of God? And, and a few days ago, a few weeks ago, they had, um, <laughs> they had a meeting. The denomination de was meeting to see what they will do with this woman. That's, that's almost too humorous to laugh at. And she was asking people to pray for her. <laughs> now imagine that. She doesn't believe in God, but she's asking people to pray. That's the lunacy, my friends. Whenever we, we try to, to, to create, or uncreate, if you please, 
the idea that God exists, we come up with ideas that contradicts reason. When Jesus was on the cross, and he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Listen, I never thought of that until I was studying this text. When he said, my God, he was speaking to someone who was transcendent, who was outside of time, whom, uh, whose presence was not there per se. He, God the Father, was in heaven when Jesus was on earth, and Jesus spoke to him. He didn't say, my imagination. He didn't say, my Buddha. He didn't say, Santa Claus. He said, my God, because he's speaking to someone who was real, who existed outside of time. You see, my friends, listen. More consequences depend upon what will happen to us when we give an answer to that question, does God exist? More consequences for good or bad. Jesus called to a God who was out there and a God who was here. The I-thou relationship. And so God did this. The scripture says God took Abraham without Abraham looking for God because Abraham was a pagan, idolatrous man before God introduced himself to Abraham. God communicated his existence to Abraham by speaking to him. The transcendent God comes into time and space and he speaks and he speaks. Jesus shows us that the argument for the existence of God will determine how you and I live our lives. My God, my God, he's there, out there, but he's here. The God who lives in eternity can be addressed in time. Jesus shows us this. In other words, then, the existence of God is necessary to assume God speaks. Look, secondly, at his expression. And I, I, I picture this one as I was studying. Because you would, you would expect me to say that the existence of God and the expression of God is awesome. But you notice I did not say awesome. Because too many things are awesome today. Exact change is awesome. I say the expression of God is awful. And if you look in your dictionary, awful means more than terrible. In fact, the word terrible does not even express us, uh, awful because it is a, a synonym of that. Listen, listen to what awful means. Awful means to be full of reverence. Awful means to have a sense of awe. Terror, to be afraid, to encounter someone that is so great 
that it frightens me to even think that such a person has a knowledge of me. I, I, I want to take you to an Old Testament passage. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. J. Vernon McGee used to say the greatest sound in a church service is to hear the, the pages turning to find the text. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Look, look at verse 10. Moses is rehearsing something that God did. So what he's relating to the people in Deuteronomy, and by the, by the way, the book Deuteronomy, the word Deuteronomy means to repeat. So what Moses is doing, he's repeating what has gone on before. He's getting ready to, his, to make his departure. So he's speaking to the people of what God did. So he's repeating what took place in Exodus chapter 19. So Moses said to them, The day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, Gather the people, gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days of their lives while they're on earth, and that they might teach them to their children. Then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven. In other words, the sparks went up. The flames shooted from earth to heaven as it were. Now here's the key verse, verse 12. Uh, by the way, let me finish. With darkness, clouds and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. Didn't say the fire spoke. It says God spoke. You heard the sound of the words, but you saw no form. You only heard a voice. Listen, friends. The reason God didn't give any image of himself is because God is spirit. And if God had shown them something, you know what the tendency of the human heart is? To make a replica. And worship that. That's what they did when Moses, when Moses was up in the, at this point, up in the uh, mountain getting instruction from God. His brother was making an idol for the people to worship. We are idolaters, all of us. We are idolaters by nature. But I want you to see something here. I want to get away from what I want you to understand. God wanted the people to hear so he, he brought everyone, father, mother, children. And God spoke. And he spoke in a way that Moses could understand. 
that the people could understand. He articulated. But my friends, what, what, what they were seeing and what they were hearing was so terrifying that they said to Moses, Moses, the next time God wants to speak, you speak to us from him. Don't speak, don't allow him to speak to us because it is too terrifying. You know, you know my friends, think. Think of how the people saw and heard the word of God. They did not, they did not take it for granted. They were not light and careless with that word. The presence of God was such and the word of God was such. Psalm 29 verse 4 says that the word of the Lord is powerful and majestic. When God speaks, my friends, we must come to a, an, a couple of conclusions. To whom is he speaking? Why is he speaking? And what should be our response? So awful was the communication of God to his people because God wanted them to know that he was God. He didn't want them to lose the sense that when God speaks, he doesn't simply speak words. He speaks his own character. That's why we were singing this morning, immortal, invisible, God, only wise. Because, my friends, if God was our, a creature from our imagination, we can treat him whichever way we wanted to. We can say, like one girl said in one of my class in psychology, introduction to psychology when I was in college, she said, I'm so free with God, I can even swear at him. That's a misunderstanding of the biblical expression from God. Isaiah 66, God says, this is the person that I look to, the person who trembles at my word. They gather together in the eighth chapter of the book of Nehemiah. The people gather together. And for four hours, Father, mother, sister, brother, children, slaves, all stood because the word of God had been missing and this time the word of God was being proclaimed. You know, I, I think of that, friends. Oh, I hope that you come here Sunday mornings to hear the word of God. I hope that you come here not to listen to a man speak to you about God, but to hear God speaking to you through his word. It might be that you prefer to hear the man speaks rather than God speak, just as the, they did in Exodus chapter 20. You must come to hear God's word because, my friends, what this man has to say about God if it is not recorded in scripture, you have absolutely no reason to listen to one thing I say. Not one word. I am subject to this book as I am calling upon you to subject yourself to it. I am seeking to obey what God has said here 
more than anything else in my life. Listen to what Psalm 138 verse 2 says. That God, God has exalted his character out of his name. He exalts his character out of his name. His name is Jehovah. I am. Later on, he's going to say through Peter, you are to be holy for I am holy. My friends, if God has spoken his word to us, in no part of the scriptures have we been called to alter that word because we're now living in a different age. The 21st century does not change the scriptures. So when someone says, I, 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 can, I can exchange life married partners and I can go to the Bible and I can look and I can see how many men had several, several women in the Bible, the Bible never condoned it. It simply announced it. Never condoned it. And so God is going to express his greatness through his word. Well, I'll leave it like that for now. Let, let me share just a couple of things with you. I want you to see how God continued, how God continued to share his word. In the first part of the text, it says, God, who in different times and in different ways spoke to the prophets and the fathers, but has in this day, the last days. Now please understand that the last days when the scripture speaks of it is speaking of the day when Christ came to when he returns again. It's not that we are living in the last century of time. When this was written, it was the first century. And yet, the writer said, but in these last days, or last times. So it is a period of time from the birth of Christ to his second coming. Someone said to me, do you believe that we're living in the last days? And I said to this person, we're closer than the first days. Do you, do, do you believe that the second of Jesus is, is near? I said, it's nearer than when he first said it. The last days, my friends, is a, is a period. So we are a part of that. So God started to speak to the Jewish people through the prophets, through the fathers, through creation, as Psalm 19 says. But in these days, he continues to speak, but through his son. Jesus now becomes the, the communicator I don't want to jump ahead of myself here. He becomes the communicator. And I, I want you to look at a little, a little word in your text. The King James translation says, but in these last days, half, H-A-T-H, half. The modern, modern translation says has. But let me tell you what, what the origin of that word is. That little word, has or hath, has the idea of a continuous progression without a break in time or space. 
So God spoke this way, and he continues to speak. But instead of using prophets and fathers, it is his son that now speaks. I came across something amazingly, almost amusing again. In the ninth chapter of the book of of, uh, John, the, the, the Pharisees are arguing with Jesus. And they're saying, we know that God spoke to Moses, but this man, talking of Jesus, we don't know where he comes from. If, if you had been outside my study, you would have thought I was going crazy. Because I thought this was so humorous. It's so funny. What's so funny about it? We know that God spoke to Moses. Let me ask you, who spoke to Moses? It was Jesus. It was the Son in his pre-incarnate state. So when they're saying, we don't know who this Who spoke to this man? Nobody spoke to this man. This man speaks. See, where God was speaking through men, in Jesus, God speaks to men. So we're thinking of something very serious here. So the word has is not simply a verb that tells about time. It talks about the timelessness of what was happening. He continues to speak. The same voice that moved the stars and names them is the voice that now speaks to you and to me in the 21st century. Who is it? He speaks through his son. Now, I hope I don't get trouble with some people here, but there are people today who, who, are, who are talking about having extra biblical communication. My friends, that's impossible. That's impossible. We can be illuminated, but we cannot have anything beyond what Jesus said. God spoke. He began the process through prophets, but he completes the communication through his son. And when Jesus speaks, that's final. Nothing else. And that's important as to what is happening in our secular age right now. All that was necessary for the race to hear of salvation in Jesus Christ are yea and amen. The son speaks when Jesus was transfigured in the month of transfiguration. And, and by the way, when they say the mount, it is a mountain and it is high. <laughs> Been on top of it. Frightening. Just see the whole, uh, you know, it, it's just amazing how the Bible speaks in such definite terms. And, and I remember Lois and I were on our way up to the month of transfiguration. We were being driven there by an Arab in Mercedes Benz. And I wanted to sing, Nearer My God to Thee. I mean, it was a frightening experience. I mean, he had done this again and again. But I had never been there. <laughs> and oh my word, what a frightening experience. But it, when we got to the top, it was okay. Let, let, let me suggest to you, my friends, at the top of that mountain, Peter, James, and John are there. And there were two other people who appeared with 
Jesus. And Peter said, this is, I was going to say cool, but I don't know that I want to use that. This is great. Lord, I'm going to build three tents, one for you, Moses, one for you, Elijah, and one for you, Jesus. And the moment he said that, the heavens opened and God thundered from heaven. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to him. Not to Moses. Not to Elijah. Listen to what he's saying. And I want, I want you to understand, my friends, today, what the Son says about the Scriptures. What the Son says about the Scriptures. Look, if you please, at the, the, the Son and the Scripture. The Son of God appealed to the Scriptures when answering questions about morality. Matthew 19, 3 to 6. The Pharisees came to Jesus and they said to him, Is it right for a man to divorce his wife for any matter? Jesus never answered the question. He went back to the source. Because if you understand the source, you'll understand everything about what follows. Have you never read? Where? The scriptures. Jesus used the scriptures to correct the thinking of people. And when people think that they can use their minds to correct the thinking of scriptures, my friends, we are at the opposite end of reality. We're at the opposite end of it. This woman had seven brothers for husbands. Each died. The Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection, went to Jesus and said, in heaven... Whose wife is she going to be? And what did Jesus say? You err because you don't know the scriptures. Jesus said, my people are suffering because of their ignorance of the text. God speaks human relationship into existence and set the standard by which that relationship is to be exercised. And when we try to change it, my friends, we are digging a hole for ourselves. The sun and the scriptures. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's word came from heaven through the sun. Jesus Christ himself said this. Father, I have given them the word you have given to me. You gave it to me because I was becoming incarnate. I was going to be with them. But what I'm going to give to them is what you have always said. You said it in Genesis. You said it in Exodus. You said it in Leviticus. You said it in Numbers. You said it in Deuteronomy. So that when Jesus was being tempted, he went to the book of Deuteronomy to overcome the tempter's temptation. The Son and the Scriptures... Jesus did not come to destroy what God had said in the prophets and the fathers. He said, I came to fulfill it. See, what we have in the Old Testament is the prophecy of the Messiah. What we have in the New Testament is the fulfillment of the Messiah. And we're in the last days, and that process is still going on until he comes again. The Son and the Scriptures. In the Scriptures, Jesus said this. Listen to this. In John 10, 35. 
speaking to the Pharisees again, he said, the scriptures cannot be broken. In other words, my friends, there isn't a time when the scriptures will say today what it wasn't saying yesterday or meaning something else today than what it meant yesterday. The scriptures cannot be broken. That word broken means cannot become loosed. Cannot be adjusted. Imagine, imagine that God, who brought this world into existence, place it the way it's placed, make it as beautiful as it is, that he needs help from me to correct the error he made. That's insane. But that's what's happening. That's what's happening. And please listen. As we adjust our thoughts about God, we we adjust our belief in what he said, and therefore we feel free to adjust our morals. They have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me. You will adjust your morals when you begin to adjust scriptures. Time is almost gone. I feel very deeply about this. That's the sun and the scripture, how Jesus looked at the scriptures. Look at the scripture and the sun. The scripture, God's word, was the absolute trust of Jesus. From the beginning to the end, he banked his entire life on it. In the temptation, when you and I can read it and just pass over it, we do not know what it is that as the incarnate Son of God, he was confronted by Satan to disbelieve God, to disobey God, to try God. Jesus said, it is written. Taken from his answer. Every answer in the temptation is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 8. Every, every question. So that the Bible answers to my morals, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Secondly, the last thing Jesus did before he died, John 19, 28. Listen to what it reads. And Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, breathed his last. The scriptures, Jesus said, is complete. The work of redemption is finished. Just as God said it was going to be. And you know, may I just, in passing, came across this female theologian who who calls the crucifixion divine child abuse. Imagine the lunacy of that. Jesus said it is finished. Just as God ordained it. Just as God said it. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and he was. Lastly and thirdly, in the resurrection, the, 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 the road to, to, to Emmaus, here they were walking with their heads down. Jesus comes and said to them, why, why, why are you walking this way, looking so dejected? 
<laughs> Again, another humorous part of the answer they gave. Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what has taken place? When he was the only one in Jerusalem who knew what was had taken place. But we will always question Jesus if we think we have a better answer than he does. Jesus said, listen to what he said, talking to his own disciples. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets had spoken. The resurrection of the, of, of the Lord Jesus, although it was going to take place hundreds of years later, was predicted in the Old Testament. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory and beginning from Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures concerning himself. And here, my friends, here is my closing thought. If God left you and me to correct his errors, then that God is not worthy of our trust. Because you know your heart, and I know my heart. And if Jesus could trust the scriptures totally, going back to the very beginning, I am left with no choice but to follow in his steps. Let's pray. I'm going to borrow a prayer. I don't always do this, but I thought it was a worthy prayer. Taken from the Book of Common Prayer. Before I do, will you spend a few moments responding to God? Praying that if you had problems with the Word of God, you, you will surrender those problems to His integrity this morning. Blessed Lord, you have caused all of Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us so to hear them, read them, mark them, learn them, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.